Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Playwright Repertory Podcast. I'm Mitchell Huntley, here again with my co-host, Sarah Lena Sparks. Hello. And we're here with our special guest and good friend, Jamie Osman of Harvard's Hyperion Shakespeare. Hello, Jamie. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Mitchell and Sarah. How are you guys? We're great. Mitchell, you had a good time um, formulating that sentence, didn't you? I did. I was definitely formulating. I was trying to figure out how to formulate that sentence beforehand, but I think it turned out okay. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, today we're going to be talking about adapting classics and and interpreting them, looking at um, sort of what defines a classic and examples of theatrical adaptations of classics, uh, modern day uh, adaptations of classics, and how to come up with your own. And first, we're going to get to know our special guest, Jamie, with our typical Playwright Repertory podcast way, Magnet to Your Computer. I'm Magnet excited. to Your Computer! So, I'm- Jamie, do you, know how, do you know how this game works? I do not. <laughs> Sarah, want to explain? Um, I'm bringing it up right now, so how about you do that, Mitchell? <laughs> <coughs> so yeah, we play a game at the beginning of every episode called Magnet to Your Computer, and it's kind of like, you know the game, like, Gun to Your Head, where you have to say, like, the first thing that comes to your mind when asked a question? Yes. So this is our spin on that, because as writers, our computer is, like, our mind when it comes to the plays we write da- plays we write down or type up. So a magnet, of course, would wipe your computer... And that is our spin on Gun to Your Head. So Sarah's going to be asking you uh, these quick questions just to like get to know you better and um, see your opinions on things, get your hot takes, and get to do it fast. Amazing. I am remembering this now. Your Shakespeare versus Sondheim question wrecked me to my soul. <laughs> oh, man, that was the worst. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Magnet to your computer. Jamie Oatsman, are you ready? I am ready. All right, countdown and the clock is starting. Lift off and the clock has started. One, what is your favorite season of the year? Ooh, uh, summer. Two, you can only put one thing on your resume. What would it be? Uh, probably my, my university, I would guess. <laughs> my, my college education. <laughs> Three, if you could travel in time anywhere, past or future, when and where? Oh, that is um, very tricky. I probably would go meet Shakespeare. Very appropriate for this episode. episode. (laughs) (laughs) Four, you have all the money in the world to plan a party. What is the theme of the party? Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, I would probably want to recreate the ball from The Sound of Music. Nice. Uh, five. Which Disney princess side character are you? The side character or the or the princess? Side sidekick character. character. Sorry, I forgot the kick part. Oh, um, am I familiar with Disney princess sidekick characters? Um, I am partial to the raccoon in Pocahontas. Okay, okay. Yeah. I, I would say, or maybe. Oh wait, no. Um, Cogsworth from Beauty and the Beast. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Six. Favorite Shakespeare play. Or classic work? Uh, much Ado About Nothing. That's mine, too. Okay, seven. Favorite childhood book? Ooh, childhood book. That is that is complicated. Um, Bloom Ability by Sharon Creech. Eight. What are you binging on Netflix? 
Oh, uh, I've been doing a lot of homework recently, so nothing at the moment. I think the most recently, Lucifer. Mm. I've been meaning to watch that. I don't, it's pretty Is fun. that good? Really I enjoy good. it. It's it's fun. It's very fun. Tom Ellis is a handsome man. Nine. I'm guessing your answer to this question already in my head, but you can have tea with one person dead or alive for a day. Who is it? It's probably Shakespeare. I mean, there are others. I, I would okay. also, Anne Boleyn would be an interesting one, I think. Mm, or yes. Catherine of Aragon. Uh, ten. Now, this is our pride and joy question. If you haven't listened to one of these, you might not know what the heck we're talking about. Uh, Bambi's dad or Hercules? So I have listened to your podcast, but not the one where this is explained. I've just listened to it referenced. Um, so, uh, for... Don't explain, don't explain, don't explain. What are the two options? The what are the two options again? <laughs> Bambi's dad. You know, uh-huh. the dad of the dear Bambi. I've never seen Bambi. Or Hercules. Or if you Her- want in, if you Hercules, in our, the Disney uh, character. Yes, Bambi's dad is also a Disney character. They're both. Disney oh, characters. oh! I'm supposed to look at these pictures. You can look at the pictures if you need a reference. Yeah. You, is there a criteria I'm judging off of, or like no. better movie? Criteria is up to you. I would it's say not Hercules. It's really not about the movie. Oh. I'm gonna go with Hercules. I think. Okay. 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 <laughs> There's a resurgence in Hercules. Yes. It used to be all just be Bambi's dad, Lots but now Hercules is coming back. Lots of people used to side with Bambi's I dad. I don't know anything about Bambi's dad, and I have seen the movie Hercules, so I will choose that. <laughs> Fantastic. This is zero to hero. Um, yeah. All right. So now we're gonna move on to talking about classics. So one of the first things we have to think about is what defines a classic. I know I'm in a classics and classically inspired uh, theater company at my university, and Jamie, you are in one at yours. I am. Um, and technically, I'm in one at mine. And Sarah's, wow, <laughs> what a trifecta we have here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's almost and, like we all did theater as children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so the way we define it at my uh, my theater group is anything that is a hundred years old or earlier, okay. um, which is, I guess, a pretty broad definition of classic, uh, which then includes a lot of um, stuff from the 19th century and stuff like that. But yeah, I um, feel like that's like very recent considering other ones. Oh, I was going to say that the opposite, actually, that it, it eliminates the whole modern classic idea of what makes a, a piece of classic literature. Yeah, it, it's a really interesting and also we we also do is classically inspired, so we, which is very a good thing, interesting thing to talk about what we're doing talking about today. But um, which we say is stuff inspired by that, which right. is a lot of a lot of media people don't realize is inspired by. Um, yeah, classic. I mean, I think we we can trace many stories back to uh, you know if we're looking like traditional like what is the classics major if we're talking about Greek Roman uh, that kind of thing you can trace a lot of stories back to those, but also there are stories that predate that you know like flood flood origin stories are very prevalent across cultures um in terms of classic literature i think doing a temporal definition is very interesting i hadn't even really thought about that because i think there's a lot of discussion about classic literature like our contemporary novels classic you get like is harry potter a classic novel thrown around a lot um i think in terms of like what my theater company does we stick mostly to shakespeare and other early modern playwrights but like you said we do we also do um you know adaptations or or shakespeare inspired so we um when, until covid we're producing a, a production of 12 ophelias which is a 
a play that is obviously uh, inspired by Hamlet. <laughs> um, nice. But yeah, I think yeah, I think the definition of classic is murky by design um, because I think for everyone, you know, classic literature or a classic story can be very different, and what they consider to be classic can be very different. I don't know. Was there a question? I'm not answering anything. I'm just rambling. <laughs> no, that's, 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 that was good. Yeah. I mean, the question was what defines a classic? And I think that there is so many different ways you can um, define it. It can be, I, I, of course, I never really thought about like the uh, whole modern classic and like this Harry Potter count as a classic. And like, what's interesting, like the question about what's your favorite childhood book, because you would probably, someone who grew up with that would probably consider it, oh, that's like classic. Like that's from my, something from like when I grew up. That that was like a like that I've built off of that sort of as I thought about that and read, had that read to me and stuff like that and that built me as a person a bit more and I think that that is an interesting definition I didn't even really think about because I think having that temporal definition does kind of set in stone something even though if it expands year by year like now 1920 is now considered classic for mm-hmm. theater company but yeah it's just it's just really interesting that 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 debate between temporal and having the modern classics. I think uh, for the dummies in the back, like me, let's define temporal real quick. Oh, defined by time. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes. Um, yeah. Defining. I, I, we're talking about defining uh, what, what classic means by time versus by theme. Um, I think thematically a classic has to have elements that are like inherently relatable to some aspect of human nature, because there's a reason that these stories continue to stay in popularity. I mean, you look at, I keep going back to Shakespeare because that's what I know, but like the reason Shakespeare is still so popular is because we look at these plays and even if the language is somewhat removed from what we recognize, you know, you recognize whether it's falling in love for the first time in Romeo and Juliet or whether it's having like, anxiety about death in Hamlet. Like we, we know those feelings and we see them and we understand them. And, and that's what keeps those, them hanging around. And that's not just Shakespeare. That's, you know, in Jane Austen, the, the snarkiness of Elizabeth Bennet in Pride and Prejudice, we, we see that in ourselves and we relate to that. Well. And, you know, as the BIPOC person in the room, you know, we're used to very much seeing all Western classics in, taught in our schools um, they're the ones that are kind of, you know, put on that pedestal that we're used to seeing and classics span through all over the world. Anywhere you go, there has once been storytelling and is storytelling currently. Um, so there's always things that, you know, you go back in history and there's always going to be a classic story from anywhere in the whole entire world. And I think a lot of production companies are trying to, um, become more diverse and brighten their perspective a lot because this term classic has been really narrowed down to um, a certain kind of person who writes it and the certain kind of people who tell those stories for a very long time. So it's interesting now seeing people trying to expand their perspectives and see what classics looks like in other kind of parts of the world and other genres and how those are told, which are normally really similarly to you know the rest of the world because everybody's pretty similar when you look down at it yeah i think i think there's there is a broader movement now um to expand people's idea of what the canon is of classical works which i think is really good i know that's something we're we we're doing over at the theater company i am uh part of we are trying to look at um trying to find classics either about or written by uh, women or people of color 
And um, so that's something and I think I think we often center it on Western classics uh, as opposed to um, classics from places other than Europe. We're very Eurocentric often in our um, in what we consider a classic. And I think it's I think it's something that we as a society, I think we're starting to move towards. We still need to do a lot more work on really focusing on and bring to the stage and screen and all the other ways, classic stories from outside of this Eurocentric um, perspective. I think it's also important, yeah, to also remember that within some of these narratives that have been historically claimed usually by, you know, we're looking at things written by white men almost always. It's about reclaiming the, the kind of universal themes within that, that can apply to everyone. I, I'm thinking specifically the public theater did a production of Much Do About Nothing um, two years ago with an all-black cast and kind of reframed that that show within this experience of what it is to be black in, in the U.S. And it was still Shakespeare. It was still like the original language and uh, they didn't, you know, change anything dramatically. Um, but it was about saying like, hey, you know, like we're in this story too. Um, everyone's in this story and that's what's great about it. Um, so I think that those those kinds of forms of being like, this is for everyone is also really is an important thing too. Which kind of leads to our next topic, which is about theatrical adaptations of classics. So classics, because they're so universal, will always be done and redone and looked at from a different lens, you know, whenever in the 90s specifically, there were just a ton of weird teenage rom-coms that were all based off of Shakespeare plays. Uh, you know, She's the Man, 10 Things I Hate About You. Uh, there has to be more than that. I know that there's more than that, but they're fantastic. There's one, there's uh, there's Emma. Clueless is Emma, but that's Jane mm-hmm. Austen, not Shakespeare. Yeah, but you know, but still, yeah. y- you're going to keep on having people looking at these stories and being like, oh yeah, there's so much merit, there's so much universality, there's so much that I can connect to in this story, I'm going to tell it again my way and in this certain way, you know? So let's talk about the adaptations of classics. Not to mention, like, the... I know the the easiest one to point to always with like Shakespeare is Lion King because it is. Oh, I always forget that. <laughs> is that that is you could it's so clearly based on um, Hamlet. Hamlet. <laughs> also, there are there are stories very similar to Hamlet that are from um, from Africa. Those mm-hmm. there are stories that may have inspired Hamlet uh, in some ways. Or I would also argue that's almost. Stories like Hamlet and with the Lion King, it's also just very close to um, using probably the biggest classic story, which is the hero's journey, which we can see in so many different elements, you know? And you can see in our fourth episode about the hero's journey. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think also it has to do with, you know, relationships between fathers and sons, which is always a very common theme. Um, Ideas of legacy. Uh, You know, I, I think everyone's always like, the Lion King is Hamlet. It very, very loosely loosely as hamlet uh, it is yeah. <laughs> the, it, the similarities are are slight but they are there and they and it is intentional i mean disney has said that that wasn't an accident um yeah and it's thematically thematically they're very um they tackle very similar things that's one of the things about uh classics is that they often have these universal themes that make it really not, I mean, maybe easy but like accessible to adapt is because these are things that you can think of even if they're not this life or death situation like Hamlet, you can think of these themes and they can apply to your like everyday lives in ways that are really important and why they they um, resonate with us. 
Yeah, I think I don't know, just another very comedic example of a, a classic adaptation. Uh, I think always think of Spam a lot. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> which you know I, uh, is of course a, a very loose adaptation of the stories of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. And I, I, yeah, I think kind of like what you're saying, Sarah. It's always important to find like what is your twist going to be because you of course, of course can do a very faithful retelling of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Um, those stories are very long and <laughs> not as exciting as we want them to be. Um, but I think, you know, you, you think of spam a lot and they're, they definitely took a, took a spin to it. Um, and that, that is part of it too, is it's how do we make this new and fresh and something that is exciting for now. And uh, sometimes that's, you know, a satirical musical about nights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think what, what it really is, how you can put your own twist on it. I know easily every, every, every theater and their uncle has done, Oh, let's do this show, but set in a different time period. But I think what you can really do if you, when you're writing your own adaptation of these classical works is to change something about the world or the, the plot a little bit and to figure out how that affects it and snowballs. it. And you can obviously set it and should probably set it in a different time period. Um, but see how that stuff affects it. I think that's something where I know I've, Interested, like I wrote something based on the the Theban plays or the, like Oedipus, Oedipus Rex, Oedipus Eclonus, Antigone. And what I did was I tried, I set it in sort of how would this, how would this play if it was done by like ruly drunken teenagers? How would that affect it? And that and that led to many different revelations about these characters and these themes that um you can explore in a way that's unique to yourself. And I think what it, a big thing is making sure that it's something that excites you. If you can get it to excite you, it'll, people will people will enjoy it. And I think you'll find it a really interesting um, adaptation. I think it excites, but also um, I think the, the core to any classic is the theme. And so I think when you find a theme in a classic or any story and you just feel so connected to it, um, you know, we'll use Shakespeare, for example, because that's just so widely known. But, you know, you know, let's just say Romeo and Juliet, you see Romeo and Juliet, it's a story about love and it's just, you can so personally connect it to you and a situation that you feel like you've been in and then you bring it to this timeline. It's not just about, you know, what does it look like, but it's also how does it feel and, you know, the way that they feel back in Shakespeare's time about love is the same now and that's why it's so easily adapted to now. So I, I for me, because I have adapted a few classics, and I think for me the biggest part are the themes and how really emotionally connected the story can be in different places and how it can apply to so many different timelines and so many different peoples. Yeah. When I say, yeah, when I say excites, I mean more like um, energizes you to keep uh, writing on it uh, more I than like happy, excited. Uh, yeah, I think also really just like in terms of like if you're thinking of adapting your own classic, one really tried and true method that has produced some wonderful um, work is taking a character that it's not at the center of the original story and reframing the story to be about them. I'm thinking right now of Eurydice by Sarah Rule, um, but there's a couple ones like that where you you take a story like in this case Orpheus and Eurydice, which is always told from the perspective of Orpheus traveling to the underworld, battling it all to get Eurydice back and she flips it around and makes it about Eurydice's experience and um, it, it's just a, a nice way to just kind of say okay I have a starting point I want to take 
uh, Romeo and Juliet and I want to write it from Mercutio's perspective. Like, what is Mercutio doing this whole time in, in this story? Um, that's a great idea. One of you should write that. Benvolio, do it from Benvolio's <laughs> perspective. Exactly. Underrated like, character. Benvolio's like, <laughs> the 24 hours my life went insane. Yeah. A novel by Benvolio. Yeah. Are you, my, my one I think of when I'm thinking of uh, is Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Yeah, right. that's what I was thinking too. Which... Which is, uh, of course, that's a Hamlet from uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern's perspective. Also some elements of absurdism in there. And I think I think that's a really good way to um, uh, to do an adaptation is from a character we don't normally hear about and from their perspective. Because we often only, we don't, like, we, like you said, we often only hear from like our main characters, our title characters. Um, we don't get to see how their actions and the actions of others impact these other characters in the story and often they will lead to themes that were maybe not explored or not emphasized as much in the actual uh, original pieces. Yeah, it's kind of another way, like I said before, to reclaim the story, to find um, the stories of people who maybe have been ignored in the past or maybe have been side characters or maybe haven't been the center. You can kind of switch it around and, and give give new characters a chance to shine. Yeah. Another topic that we won't really get into when it comes to classics is sort of synthesizing uh, Shakespeare or handling the text. That's something we'll probably have, probably do another time because it's a really in-depth conversation, of course, about like verse and metaphors and scansion. Scansion. (laughs) That's something uh, in writing verse and stuff like that. So we'll probably have that, which is, I love writing verse. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's so fun. I personally (laughs) think you have to have a certain kind of brain to write your own verse. I don't. Mitchell does. And it's fantastic. It's like a puzzle brain. It's like you know, I won't dabble, but Mitchell goes in and it, it creates some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, You're an iambic pentameter stand, Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I. It does flow the best for English, really, because there's not going to get too much into it, but I know like stuff translated from uh, French, like Voltaire stuff has, um, it, it has um, 12 syllables instead of 10, because mm-hmm. it that works better with French, which is a whole interesting conversation. We'll have a lot more conversations about uh, <laughs> first and the different types of it when we do an episode on that. But now we should move on to our game. So we have a fun game that I have in store, which is uh, called Bard or Bored. I'm so, excited. <laughs> one of the things about Shakespeare is he invented a lot of words. Well, he was the first one to write them down, that's for sure. That's for sure. He, he, quote unquote, invented, he gave like the first written account of these Mm -hmm. words, really, in the popular lexicon. So some of these words that I will be giving you are words that he wrote down and started coined. Um, Some of them were probably just written down by someone who was very bored. So. Oh, my reputation is at stake here. (laughs) So the the aim of the game is for you to guess. are these phrases ones that Shakespeare created, or are they of different origin? Okay, I'm so ready. I'm going to. You ready for this? I'm ready. I bonus feel like points, if it if it is um, Shakespeare, bonus points if you can guess which play. Oh, okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Question one: Lackluster. It sounds like it is, but I also feel like this might be a trick question. I'll say, I'll say no. It is. It is. Uh, okay, I, doubt, I doubted myself. I shouldn't have. <laughs> yes, it's from As You Like It, actually. Okay. The, 
I'm starting out real good. <laughs> starting out real strong. Real Only strong. five of these. So we I'm crushing it. Oh, no. Okay. All right. Question two. Yes. Addiction. I know assassination is. I don't think addiction is. It is. Are, are these all going to be Shakespeare? First of all, that's just crazy. That that's, like that is crazy that he he's that like the first time anybody's ever seen addiction what it still written means? on paper. <laughs> because that you have to be careful. There's yeah. a trick with bedroom. Uh, people quote people uh, turn to Shakespeare as being the inventor of the word bedroom, but if in the actual quote from Midsummer Night's Dream is "By your side, no bedroom me deny," meaning literally room in the bed, mm. uh, not bed in the room. <laughs> So right. sometimes he like invents words and then that they actually mean something different now. Um, I'm looking up to make sure that. Um, so it's like it, how older people call flip flops thongs. Oh, okay. So it's. You know when older people call flip flops thongs? Yes. Similar to that. That's weird. <laughs> that is. That's really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, Shakespeare used it. It was a relatively neutral word with a sense of like a strong inclination more than what it was. What is it from? Othello. Othello. Oh, okay. Um, I'm doing so well. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. This is a hard game. Is it, it is generally a hard now game. Now I'm scared to say yes because I feel like the next one you're going to give me is not going to be. It's going to be a trap. Who knows? Um, question. I know. Question three. <laughs> daunting. Yes. False. Dang it, Mitchell. <laughs> this one this one's kind of mean. He did come up with Dauntless. I that's what okay, I knew I know about Dauntless, but yeah. I thought I was like, he can't get me again, and then he did. I did. <laughs> again. <laughs> okay. What is what is what is daunting? That, that one's from Henry the Sixth. Dauntless is from Henry the Sixth. Henry the Sixth. Daunting. Daunting is you have, you tricking I've, me. I was be tricking you. Uh, that was yeah. Probably predated it um probably predated maybe i don't i'm not a something linguist. is daunting but he doesn't get affected by it so therefore he is dauntless mm, that's or, a good hypothesis i don't know if it's true or not i, I don't, don't know if it's true or not i, I don't want to confirm i could probably look it up in the oxford english dictionary but i'm that is I'm a good place to start yeah i was i took a i took a um, renaissance drama class in this past Ooh. winter quarter and that was one of our tools that i didn't really need to use but it was there you should always use the oxford english dictionary it's a it's a fun place to get into rabbit holes it gives it gives you like the actual like origins of Mm -hmm. like some of these uh words which is really interesting all right question four elbow yes that is correct. I know that one. <laughs> do you know? Do you know what it's as, from? as a verb, mind you? As a verb, not. It as is like yes. A, it's as a verb. Can you give me? Can you give me a, a category? Which which category is it in? Tragedy. Okay, sorry. I'm looking at my my poster that has all the tragedies. Is it from Titus? Nope. Um, <laughs> King Lear. What's it? King Lear. Okay, I'm. This is gonna be a super hot take. I'm actually not the biggest King Lear fan, so that would be why I. I haven't heard too many people who are like, that's my favorite. Well, it's only, considered his like one them. of his big three. Usually people look at um, King Lear, Hamlet, and the third one's kind of contested, but some usually Romeo and Juliet, I think, is what yeah. people consider. I feel like everybody like every, I feel like everybody puts King Lear up there as like, oh, yeah, it's great. But I, I don't hear people when you ask them what their favorite Pieces of Shakespeare, I, I I don't hear that. Yeah, I typically I typically hear like like R and J Hamlet, uh, rarely Othello, but 
King Sometimes Lear, I don't hear that much. Yeah. I don't hear that. Nobody, okay, here's the thing. People always discredit the comedies, and... I well, the comedies are, are usually early, because his later comedies... Um, are are ones. are not really funny. We wouldn't consider them comedies. You know, you get measure for measure. You get uh, yeah, the tragic comedies. All's well that ends well. Uh, you know, not really fun time. Merchant of Venice. <laughs> uh, I, I still, that's uh, Merchant of Venice. Is that really a comedy? I guess it technically. It, is. It, I mean, it does. It, it counts. Um, genre. But there's so much. It's so problematic, though. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um. But I mean, also, yeah, if you really want to get into it, you can talk about you know the death of his son. Didn't the um, twins die too around that time? Just just one, just his okay. son Hamnet died um, right before he wrote Twelfth Twelfth Night was the first um, play that came out after his son died, and then Hamlet. Um, I think Hamlet was after that. I'm checking real quick. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to mess it up, so I'm not going to say anything. But um, yeah, I'm I'm fairly confident Twelfth Night was the one that came out immediately after so i don't think they know if he wrote that before or after mm-hmm. uh his son died but then after i mean this is a, this is also kind of you know up for debate i'm not a published author on on shakespeare's history this is just kind of my personal beliefs but after the death of his son you start to get a shift toward some of what we consider like the great tragedies you get your hamlets your king lears your Macbeths, um and then you start getting these uh comedies that are much more about reconciling with with sadder themes and also Twelfth Night if you look at it is all about twins that are trying to like find each other again which is very sad if you look mm-hmm. at it in light of his son dying yeah sorry bit of a downer <laughs> bit of a downer but yeah no it's really important I think and I do think yeah people people often point to those big ones but he a lot of the comedies I feel like are often underrated even, oh I definitely even, think so I mean my favorite's a comedy yeah everyone everyone points to like Everyone points to Hamlet, Romeo and Juliet, like Macbeth. I didn't even think about that one. That's a, that's one people point to a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but no one really points to As You Like It or um, all those other comedies. I recently, I, I worked on an uh, adaptation that's actually the public, it was at the public first, um, but As You Like It, they were supposed to do it again this past summer as like a reviving it. But um, by Shana Taub, it was great. Is that Lori Woolery's project? It's also Lori Woolley wrote the book for um yeah for I think, that. I think that she works on that yeah all right so we have one more question here all right I'm one for four so really you're one for it. four <laughs> really doing well really coming after your credentials here uh, question Seriously. five okay swag swagger is swagger definitely is I'm gonna say swag is not. That is actually exactly what I put on the thing. You are correct. Thank you. Just you. <laughs> up with Swagger. Bonus points. What what play was Swagger? Um, it's in Midsummer Night's Dream. What hemp and homespuns have we swaggering here? I don't know if that's the first time he used it, but that's it's definitely a, a line from Midsummer Night's Dream. It's not the first time, but that is that is a good that is correct. Um, uh, is it in Henry the Fourth? Henry the Fifth. Yes, there you go. <laughs> yes, it is in Henry V. Isn't right. that crazy that media just like creates words? Like, did you know that the name Madison wasn't a thing until Splash came out with Tom Hanks in the 80s? Wait, wow. what? Yes, they created the name Madison. What was it before? It wasn't a name. 
It wasn't but like a first name. Was it just was everyone just named like Madel- Madeline or Madeline or something? I mean, it was well, a last okay. name. So me and my sister were watching it, and he's with name. so the plot of Slash. Tom Hanks meets a mermaid, and him and the mermaid <laughs> like. Like they walk all in prance all about New York, and she's like, "It's like a PG thirteen movie. It was on Disney Plus. They show butts in that movie." And we're like, "Really? Wow!" Anyway, they're like, "Okay, mermaid, you need a name because they make out all the time, but she doesn't even have a name." And then she looks up at the street sign, and it says Madison, and apparently she can read. So she goes, "How about Madison?" And Tom Hanks goes, "That's not a name." She's like, "Well, now it's my name." And me and my sister are like, "What? I know so many Madisons. We we have so many Maddies. We have to like give their last initial, you know." <laughs> and we looked it up on Wikipedia. It indeed didn't become a popularized name until Splash. That That's- is crazy oh my god have you heard of the jessica crazy? problem i have not heard of the jessica problem the jessica problem and there's another name that i think is true of this too but jessica was a really it was like a name like there's there's a shakespeare character named jessica like it was a name in like shakespeare's time but people who write historical fiction can't really use it as a name because it sounds too modern <laughs> right because oh, if you're like yeah i would never like if you're like Boleyn, catherine of aragon jessica, jessica. <laughs> yeah that's funny. There's another name that has this problem too, where it's like it sounds too modern to have existed historically, but it did. That's funny. I I thought, my mind goes like Rachel or something like that. Maybe Rachel, but I feel like the no, bibl- but Rachel's like, biblical. Yeah, yeah. The Rachel's like, biblical, names. but I feel like people some people don't realize that. Mm. They're like, that's so. That's like I don't know. That's just the first one that came to my head. But that might be also have a problem. Let's see if I can find the other one. That's it. funny. Yeah, I would never picture. So I think one of my roommates mentioned that Shakespeare may have actually... Tiffany. I'm sorry. It's the Tiffany problem. Tiffany. Ah. It's the Tiffany problem. Because I think Shakespeare had something... I think Shakespeare may have actually created Jessica. um, Mm. Or at least it was the first one to write it down. This is the problem. We don't have a lot of documents from this time period. So a lot of the times we're like, Shakespeare invented assassination. And we're like, he might have. Or he (laughs) might have just been the first one to throw it in a play. (laughs) Um, The Tiffany problem. Yeah. Yeah, That even... That predates that. That's from... uh, I think from Roman times. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Shakespeare did not invent assassination. The first person to kill a public official <laughs> definitely invented assassination. Well, he certainly was the first one to use the word for it. <laughs> All right. That was bard or bored. You got. Um, I'll give you. I'll give you the points for for Henry the Fifth, because oh, so I got bonus points. All right. You got bonus points. So I'd say you got. I also, to be fair, did name another show that it was in and gave you the quote. So I think that's that's not yeah. too shabby. Okay, so let's say so let's say you got three out of you got but wait, wait, wait you, Well Midsummer was written before Henry V. I was right. Oh, my source was wrong. I think you I should think get Midsummer, extra points for correcting. I think Mitchell. Midsummer was first. You should get extra points for correcting Mitchell. Yeah, because isn't, isn't Midsummer pretty, like, an early one? Yeah. 1600, yeah. That's really early. When's Henry V? Henry V was 1599, and Midsummer was 1595. Wait, what? I beat the game. When was you the, get extra points oh, for that. Oh, first published, yeah. That's, um... Yep, you beat the game. My thank source you. was dead wrong. Thank um, you, thank you. Wow. That that questions the validity of all of my all of my um Whew. 
I feel now. I feel vindicated now. Like at least you know I know one thing. I may have failed the game, but I got one we'll thing. We'll give you right. three extra points for that, meaning you got five wow. out of five. Look at me. Yay! Yay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that was our game, and that was our discussion on adapting classics. Thank you so much for being here, Jamie. Can you tell uh, the audience where they could find your um, Hyperion Shakespeare? Yes. So I'm the president of Harvard's Hyperion Shakespeare Company, and we are Harvard's only uh, student group devoted to producing Shakespeare and Shakespeare-adjacent works. Um, We're devoted to making sure Shakespeare is accessible, um, available, and entertaining for everyone on Harvard's campus. Um, And you can find us on social media. We are uh, at Harvard Hyperion on Twitter, and we are um, at Hyperion Shakespeare on Facebook and Hyperion Shakespeare Company on Instagram. So generally, if you search Harvard, Hyperion, all those things will come up and you'll find us. We're actually doing a virtual production of Macbeth this semester. So if you want to see some theater uh, around Halloween is when we're going up, uh, come come follow us on social media and we'll uh, get you some tickets. The best part about it is people can say the word because no one's in a theater. That's the greatest thing. We don't have to worry about any weird rituals or salt or anything. Unless unless you consider the fact that all the world's a stage and then you're really screwed. Then we're all screwed. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. And talk to you. You too. Thank you for listening to our Adapting Classics episode. If you have adapted a classic or made something of your own that will one day be a classic because you're so amazing and you want to perform it, have a reading of it on uh, the podcast, go ahead and submit to... I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. Tinyurl slash PRP submit. Did Very I get close. it right? Tinyurl.com slash PR. Uh, whatever. But- I can't remember. I can't remember those kinds of things. Anyway, if you want to be on the podcast, you have a play, go ahead and submit. If you feel like you submitted a while ago and you, you haven't heard anything back, go and send us a DM. Have any other kind of question? Send us a yeah. DM. We yeah. love uh, we love hearing from Shout you guys. Us Ask us a question about playwriting. Exactly. Keep writing, keep adapting classics. If you do want to start writing, adapting things I think is really nice because you you get to not start off from the complete scratch, you know? And it doesn't have to be a classic. I would not adapt Shakespeare just right <laughs> off the bat. But, you know, adapting stories, um, fairy tales, folklore have so yeah. much merit. Personally, I love that. People have made their entire careers off of that. My hero, Mary Zimmerman, um, is fantastic at that. If you would like to see adapted Greek classics or adapted fairy tales, if you want to do the Greek classics, I'd suggest reading or doing some sort of viewing of Metamorphoses for um, fairy tale classics, Secret of the Wings. It's it's really cool the work that she does and how she brings these old stories to life in these really cool, unique, and kind of experimental ways. But yeah, so all stories have merit wherever they are in the universe, wherever they're from. So just go ahead and adapt if you want to or create a whole new one. And don't forget to bring them over here so we can read them with you. Yeah, we give them a reading, help you workshop them and make them better. We also, if you want to talk about anything, like we just had Jamie on for this Adapting Classics episode, or one time we had Ben on for the music episode, if you have some sort of like little subcategory of issues you want to talk about, go ahead and send us a DM. You know, tell us what you want to do, talk about, and we can totally talk about that as well. 
In addition, this is episode 19. We're approaching our 20th episode, which is crazy. We have over 13 hours, I believe, of podcast already recorded, which is absolutely wild. So if you want to go listen to those, you absolutely should. We have some fun things. I know we mentioned um, we mentioned the Hero's Journey episode, episode four. That would be a fun one to go listen to. Um, if you want to adopt any kind of classic, I would very much look at that. I mean, that's probably the most classic story in, in the universe. Yeah. I will give that big generalization because it is. Go ahead and read A Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell or listen to our podcast or do both or look online and see everything there is about it because there's a lot of stuff about it. Also, Carl Jung, he is a psychologist who founded a lot of those ideas as well. Yeah. So go, go listen to those episodes. Uh, we have them on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, <laughs> your Alexa, Google Home. There's so many ways you can go and listen to the Playwright Repertory podcast, listen to these episodes and learn more about playwriting or listen to some of the plays we have and hear about the new voices, new playwrights. You can be one of them, like we said, tinyurl.com slash submit. We'd love for you to listen to them and learn more about playwriting because that's what we love and we want you to love it too. Absolutely. And if you want to tell us what we need to do better, what we can do, you always wanted to hear about something on the podcast, but we've never talked about it. We have a survey that you can fill out and to give us all that amazing feedback. Mitchell, what's the link? Because I don't know it. The link is in our Instagram bio. In our Fantastic. link tree. Fantastic. In our link tree. Yes. You know, I didn't know that anybody could have a link tree until a couple days ago. I just thought they were for the elite. Um, anyway, Mitchell, you got any final thoughts? Make sure before you create questions about what words Shakespeare created... Mm. Check your sources so you don't end up like me saying that Henry V... So you don't look like Mitchell. ...came before Midsummer Night's Dream. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.